0: you know me at all, you know I am a uh, a big football fan, uh, particularly college football. Uh, I have been, uh, I guess you could say, it depends on my, my allegiance. I am a third generation uh, fighting Texas Aggie. Uh, I graduated from Texas A&M, third in line. And so whatever you feel about A&M, you would either say I've been brainwashed or maybe indoctrinated. But growing up in it, I always was like, uh, my dad, it was kind of like when A&M was on TV, everything stopped, and we sat down and we we watched the game. And so I have kind of carried that into my house when the Aggies are on TV, uh, particularly when expectations get raised. Like this year, A&M has a real good team. I think they're number five in the nation right now, so that gets you like more excited about it. And so uh, not yesterday, but week before last, I sat down to watch A&M play and was really excited. They were a big favorite. Oh, this would be an easy game. And it was not. Uh, five minutes into the game, their quarterback broke his leg. Starting quarterback breaks his leg. You go, oh, no. Backup comes in, who's never played before. And so suddenly what was supposed to be an easy game was not an easy game. And it was kind of back and forth and up and down and lots of up and downs through it. Got to the last quarter, and they're they're down seven to three in a really close game. And they finally go down the, the field, and they score the go-ahead touchdown And then they review it and finds out that the quarterback fumbled on the one-inch line, so no touchdown. And they take it away. And then you go, oh, you know, like the, they're going to blow it. This is not going to happen. I can't believe this. And so finally, they get a stop. They score with two minutes left, and they win the game. And so barely win the game. But watching it was incredibly tense, and you're anxious. Uh, I may have said a few times to Joanna, I can throw better than this quarterback, uh, you know, frustrations and struggle, but, but they win the game. And so that was, that was last Saturday, a week ago Saturday, uh, Sunday here, busy with boys, everything else. I think it was Monday night I saw a clip of highlights from the game. Somebody put together like the best 10 minutes. And I was like, oh, I'm going to watch that. Totally different experience than watching it on Saturday when I'm watching the highlights on Monday night, the 10 minutes all the plays that were really intense before and you're worried and oh no they're going to blow it suddenly you're like oh watch this he's about to make a great catch watch what i'm showing the boys watch this play watch what he's going to do here and watch and suddenly it's totally different and and obviously you can you know why the reasons why when you're watching it live in those moments and you're experience you don't know the outcome but when you watch those highlights a day later and you know what's going to happen, suddenly, if you know the outcome, it totally changes the way you operate in difficult circumstances. And so suddenly there's no anxiety. There's no. It's more like, this is great. This is going to be awesome. Watch what's about to happen. And so when we get to chapter six in the book of Daniel, I feel like that's kind of the way Daniel is at this point in his life. He's an older man in his 80s now who's lived in Babylon pretty much his entire adult life. And he's seen God move in all these different ways. But not only has he seen God move in all these different ways that we've been looking at the last several weeks in chapters 1 through 6 of Daniel. But he's also seen these visions that God's given him in chapters 7 through 12. You may not know this about the book of Daniel. But we're going to start next week and we're going to look at these visions that God gives Daniel about the future. All of those actually take place before chapter 6. We're not in chronological order when we read through the book of Daniel. They're set together that way. The first half is the stories of what happens in Babylon. The second half is more the visions that God gives Daniel about what is going to happen in the future. But at this point in chapter 6, he's experienced all of this. He's seen God's deliverance uh, through chapter 1 and 2 and 4 and 5, all these things that we've looked at. But then he's also seen these visions of the future and what it looks like. And so in this, he has uh, a knowledge and a wisdom and insight that gives him great confidence, even in the present, even when things seem to be out of control, even here when he's being thrown in the lion's den, being fed to the lions. And we'll look at that today. And so I just want us to think about the, the truth of that. And we'll come back to that even at the end today, that when we know the future, we know the truth of what God's going to do, it gives us great insight and wisdom to deal with the present. And so the way we're going to look at this chapter this morning is the way we've been doing all the way through Daniel, all these narratives. We're just going to walk through the story, but there's a couple things I want you to be alerted to as we do. I want to point out to you. The first one is we're just going to consider what Daniel's facing in his time. And I'd say to you, just like we've been saying, as we've walking through Daniel, it's very similar to what we're facing in our day. So much of Daniel is vitally relevant to where we are. So the first thing, what Daniel's facing is the same thing we're facing. Secondly, I want us to look at how he remains faithful in the midst of all this. And there's three things I want us to see there and how he remains faithful. And then lastly, we're just gonna talk about how do we do that? Because it's not easy to be faithful in the midst of difficult times. And so what is the, the heart condition what is the, the faith part that leads us to be able to do that? So let's just start with the times Daniel are living in and what he's dealing with. If you go back to last week, if you were here with us at the very end, Daniel is called in before Belshazzar, who's the king in Babylon. And he gives him uh, the interpretation of the handwriting on the wall. And he says, your time's up. Your time is up as king. And we get to the very end of chapter five. And it says that very night, Belshazzar, the Chaldean king was killed and Darius the Mede received the kingdom being about 62 years old. And so what happens is Darius as the Medes and Persians come in and they take over. And they now set up their rule and reign over uh, the Babylonian uh, kingdom. And so now the Medes and Persians are over it. And so basically there's a huge regime change that happens right here at the very end, close to the end of Daniel's life. But what we see as we start to read and we get into this, is that even though Darius is now king, Daniel survives the transition. He makes his way into leadership into this new regime. It's kind of like a, a corporate takeover. Somebody comes in and they take over a business and they start to weed people out, but they keep the very best people. And that's what happens with Daniel. He stays on. And in fact, as you read there and you start to see, it tells us why in verse three, it says, then Daniel became distinguished above all over the, all the other high officials and say straps because an excellent spirit was in him and the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. And then in verse four, it says that he was above reproach, that there was nothing uh, anyone could say against him, that he was a guy who had this excellent of spirit. And so we could say he was uh, someone who did his job with integrity. He did it really well, He did it in such a way for such a long time that no one even had anything bad to say about him. There was nothing that they could attack him about. And so as such, Darius is gonna set him in this position of being over everything. Basically the number two guy under the king that's effectively ruling in this kingdom. Now, like any kind of organization, government, earthly kingdom, of course, there's gonna be people that don't like that. There's gonna be people that are jealous. And that's really what is at the heart of the story in a lot of ways. The guys that work there with Daniel that are in similar positions are right under them. Under him, they get really frustrated and they their jealousy kind of springs up and they're like, we gotta get Daniel out of here. We're never gonna get that position. We're never gonna move up unless we get Daniel out. And so they come up with a plan to attack him. But what they say in verse four is, we don't really know how to attack him. There's no dirt that they can kind of dig up on Daniel. There's nothing there. They start to look and they try to find something. They go, we're not going to find anything except this in verse five. They say, "Uh, we shall not find any ground for complaint against Daniel unless we find it in a connection with the law of his God. And so really what they're saying, and that's not a negative, but it's the only way that we're going to back Daniel into a corner is if we can come up with a law or something that speaks against what God's word says, because Daniel won't bend on that. That's the only place we think we can get him. And so that's what they set out to do. And so what happens is they begin to attack him based on his beliefs as a way to try to get him out. And so they go and they go to Darius the king and they say, hey, would you sign this thing? We're all in agreement. Would you sign this into law that no one can pray to any God except you, O king? right? The kind of buttering up the king. Don't let anyone go to before anybody else. It's all about you. It's very similar to what we see in chapter three, if you remember. Many years prior, we had the, the fiery furnace episode with Daniel and his friends Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And what we saw in that is King Nebuchadnezzar set up a giant golden statue that everyone had to bow down and worship, which seems almost a little foreign to us, in that uh, such clear terms that they did there. But if you stop and think about what they're really saying and what they're doing, like King Darius, we're only gonna pray to you. It was a way to say, our allegiance is to this new regime, to this government, to these people that are in control, to this king. And so Darius is kind of like, yeah, it's a good idea. It's a good way to make sure that everyone is loyal. And so they sign that into effect that you can't pray to anyone else, that you can't pray to any other God or anything for 30 days, only Darius. And if you do, you will be thrown to the lions. You basically will be killed. We'll make a public display of this and we'll throw you to the lions and the lions, then you'll be killed in this way. And so Daniel has a pretty serious dilemma because he sees very clearly that God's word calls him to pray and to seek the Lord and to worship him daily as it tells us is his habit. And suddenly they're saying, you can't do that anymore. And so the line is drawn real clearly, either allegiance to the empire or he's going to have to step out from under that and continue to seek God in the midst of it. And so thankfully, when we think about this, as it connects to our world today, there's no lion's den, at least in the United States. We don't have a place where you're going to be thrown into the, to the lion's if you don't say or or give your allegiance to the king or only pray to him or anything quite to that extreme. But I would tell you the heart of the matter is still very much the same. Our world today calls us to kind of bow down to all sorts of things that directly go against God's word. And we see it kind of growing in a lot of different ways. We see it around us all the time and a whole host of different things that our world says is the way things are and if you don't hold to these, uh, you may not be thrown to the lion's den, but you might lose your job or you might be attacked uh, on social media. You might be canceled in, in this heart of a cancel culture that says that if you don't believe or hold these things, then we can't have you in public service. And so that happens very much today. And it's not that different from what was happening in Daniel's time, even though it looks a little different because we don't exactly have the lion's den, but it does happen. Uh, I had a friend, actually a a story that that popped up a couple years ago, and, and it sticks in my mind because of the personal connection. But there was a story, I was going back and looking, I think it was about three, maybe three and a half years ago, guy that was going to be confirmed for the place of office of management and budget, right? So this is a cabinet confirmation in our government that has to go before the Senate to be confirmed. And the guy that was up for this position, the reason that I paid attention to the story, his name was Russell Vogt, and he was to be confirmed for this. He's a very outspoken Christian. He's a believer that uh, I would say we agree on so many things. And the reason I say that is I went to high school with Russell Vogt. He was a year ahead of me. He was on my basketball team. He used to hang out at my house. I know Russell and know him pretty well. And so I go, Hey, there's, there's my friend from high school. And now he's on C-SPAN being questioned before Congress. But the reason that the story jumped out to me when it happened is Russell graduated from Wheaton college. If you don't know, Wheaton is a Christian college in Illinois. He graduated like when I, around the same time I did. So 20 years prior but Wheaton had kind of a controversy going on as one of their professors at a Christian school said that Muslims and Christians worship the same God. And it became this kind of hot button thing in this debate. And so Russell, as a graduate of Wheaton, wrote a letter to their school newspaper and just said that Christians and Muslims do not worship the same God. And we have a stark difference in theology. And by the way, What he said was not controversial in this. Muslim scholars and Christian scholars would both say that they don't worship the same God, that they don't have the same conception of God. And so he was not saying anything that was offensive to Muslim scholars and what they hold to in their theology or Christians for that matter. But he was just saying, this is clearly what scripture says. And so in his letter, he wrote this. He said, Muslims do not simply have a deficient theology. They do not know God because they have rejected Jesus Christ his only son. And so they stand condemned. And because he wrote that, and he wrote this about a year and a half before he was up to be confirmed for this position, someone pulled it out. And so suddenly he's sitting before Congress and he's being questioned about what he wrote on his own personal beliefs about Christianity and what it means that he wrote to his school newspaper. And it had nothing to do with his ability to do the job. I sat there and watched it. There were no questions about his resume. There were no questions about the way he's treated people. There were no questions about his ability to do the job, but only attacks about his personal beliefs on his faith. And it's the same thing that you see here in Daniel, right? They go, we don't have anything to attack him on. The only way that we're going to get this is if we kind of push him to the corner in his faith and make him stand firm on that. And so people were frustrated and and attacking him. I remember watching it and a senator telling him, we don't want people like you in our government and saying these things. And I sat there with kind of my, my mouth open because what Russell said is exactly what scripture says, exactly what the Bible tells us, right? John chapter three, verse 17 and 18. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. We love that verse. And I say, we as a society love that verse. Non-Christians love that verse. God sent his son, not in the world, to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. And they go, see, Jesus didn't come to condemn anyone. You know what the very next verse says? Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe in him is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. It's exactly what Russell wrote in his letter. That there's only one way to God and it's through Jesus and nothing else. And if, that, if you reject that, you have a deficient theology. And that's what he said. And so they sat there and attacked him on that point. You're Islamophobic, right? That, that was the, the things levied at him. And we don't want people like you in our government. And it was purely based on standing firm on what God's word said, the same thing that they were doing to Daniel here. Now, thankfully in our country, he got confirmed and he did this job and did it well. And we're still not at a place where he gets thrown to the lion's den, but he had to stand against those attacks based on his belief. And so what Daniel was dealing with is very much alive and well in our world. See it all around us in lots of different ways because our world opposes the heart of the gospel in so many ways. So how do we live in a world like that? And thankfully in this passage and really through this book, Daniel helps show us what it looks like to follow him in all these ways, even in a world that is so opposed to the things of God. And so the first thing that I want to point out to you when we talk about how do we live in a world like this, is just the fact that there in verse three and four, the consistent witness of Daniel is he's above reproach, that he's excellent in his job. Here's a man that has given his life to this kingdom, the Babylonian kingdom, seeking its best, working within the government and doing it above reproach to where there was no attack on him for his work ethic or what he was doing or how he was doing it because there was nothing to attack. He did it so well. And the truth is Daniel was doing exactly what we looked at the very first week of the series that Jeremiah tells us to do in Jeremiah chapter 29 right? Jeremiah chapter 29. If you remember, we we talked about this the very first week that we started in the book of Daniel, but Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah writes a letter to the exiles in Babylon. And he says, I want you, this is how you live in this place. You put down roots, you have families, you, you get involved in the community. You love people. Well, you seek the flourishing of where God has placed you and you continue to be faithful to God. That's exactly what we see Daniel doing here. That's what he's given his life to. He doesn't bend on any of the things that God's word says, right? We even see that with them going, the only way we're gonna be able to attack this guy is when it comes to God's word because that's the one place he's never gonna bend on it. And we see that, but at the same time, we also see him living a life of excellence, helping to improve the place where he lives. And so we too are called to live in the same way. And so it's hard when persecution comes, when people push against the things that God says, because there's a temptation for all of us as the world gets more against the clear teachings of God's word to go, I'm just gonna withdraw. I don't wanna have to deal with this. I'll I'll just stick with my friends and the people that think like me and we'll stay together and we'll do that and we won't get out into the world, but we cannot do that. The clear command of scripture is that we go and we love our neighbors. We love the place where God has placed us and we seek its best. Jesus would say this over and over in his earthly ministry as he comes and teaches that we're supposed to be a light in the darkness. supposed to be the, the city set on a hill. We're supposed to be the salt that gets into everything. He uses that analogy that we're supposed to be salt and light. I don't know if you've ever really thought about that, but just the analogy he uses of salt. Salt was to... Uh, I mean, you know what salt is for. You put it on your food to add flavor and make it better, but you also used it at, this time for a preservative. You'd put it into things that would spoil otherwise. But in order for the salt to work, you have to apply it liberally. It has to get out and it has to get into everything. And if it doesn't, it doesn't work. And so if you even think about the analogy that Jesus uses there of being salt, we have to get out and into the world and into all things and seek the best of those around us. And so what you see here and what we've seen all the way through Daniel to this point is that exactly what he does. He gives his life to the good of the place where he is, but he continues to be faithful to God and everything. And in order for that to happen, and the second thing I would say here is you have to continue to seek God as you do it. You get out into everything, but you have to continue to hold fast to who God is and seek him in everything. And so you see here, as soon as they sign this thing into law right? Say you can't pray to anything else. Daniel hears this and then he goes home and what does he do? Verse 10, when Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house. We had windows in his upper chamber toward Jerusalem and he got down on his knees three times a day and he prayed and he gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God, right? And so they go tell on him But if you read between the lines here, this was their plan all along. They knew he did this. They knew this was his regular way of doing it. And so now we're going to go attack him. But what you see here and what I want you to see is we think about living in the midst of a world that goes far against God. We hold fast to the things God tells us. And I've been saying this all the way through when we see the place where our government or the place we live calls us to something that goes against God's word. That's where we step out from under it. We are called to submit to the governing authorities when it's things that are not causing us to sin, that are not going against God's Word. But as soon as they start to go against God's Word, that's where we step out from under it. And that's exactly what Daniel does here. It's exactly what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did in chapter three. You have to bow down to this idol. And they said, no, we can't do that. And so too here, Daniel says, we can't, I can't do that. And he continues to seek God. And so when we think about what it looks like to be faithful in a world that is so far from the things that God calls us to, we continue to seek Him in all things. But I want us to be clear in the way that we see Daniel doing this. I, I was, I met a guy the other day, just randomly, I was a, I can't remember where it was, I think it was in a, uh, at a car dealer and he was walking in the parking lot looking at a car. And this guy comes up and starts talking to me that works there. And very shortly, came to find out he's a believer he asked me about being a pastor we start to have a discussion I asked well what are you preaching I said well I'm in uh, Daniel right now and he goes oh I love Daniel and so this I don't know this guy he seemed like a very nice guy who loves the Lord he goes I, I love Daniel and he said I really love uh, chapter 6 when they say you can't pray and he goes home and he throws open the window and he sticks it to them all and he prays and I said is that how you read that Is that what he was doing? Is that what it says? Like, I'm going to go stick it to him. Well, when you read it, it says he went to his house and he prayed three times a day, giving thanks to God as he had done previously. He wasn't like, I'm going to go stick it to him because they told me I can't do it. He said, I'm going to continue to do the things that God has called me to do. And I'm going to do it with great faithfulness. I don't think he was seeking to stick it to him. And the reason I say that is because of everything we see about Daniel all the way through this book. He's courteous and he's gracious. He's deferential to the leaders that are above him. He's quick to ask for permission for things. He holds fast to the things God tells him. He doesn't bend on God's word, but he's never a jerk about it, right? Even from the very beginning in chapter one, when he's a teenager, he's most likely 16, 17, 18 years old, and they tell him he has to eat the king's food. And he goes to the guy that's in charge And he says, would it be okay if I just eat the vegetables and drink the water instead of the king's food? Because I don't want to defile myself. And the guy's like, I don't know. I don't know if that's going to work. And he says, well, just let us try it for a little bit. And what you see with Daniel is he's always extremely courteous and he's gracious and he's kind and he's always operating in that way. And you see it not just in chapter one, but in chapter two and in chapter four and chapter five, every time he comes before the king, even here in his interaction with Darius and the way that he talks to him, you never see him in that way. And so God calls us to be faithful, but he doesn't call us to be jerks. That's never the case. It's never, well, God says, and because God says, you can't tell me what to do. No, we want to be gracious and humble and holding fast to what God says. And so I heard it said once before in a I think there's some truth in this. God tells us clearly that we will be persecuted when we hold fast to his word in a world that is crooked and against him in so many ways that if we hold fast to God's word, there will be times we will be persecuted. But if you are always persecuted in everything you say, it's probably because you're a jerk. And I've heard people say that, well, I'm persecuted because I stand up for the truth. And it's like, do you hear yourself? Because part of the time, it's just your tone. Part of the time, it's the way you're attacking people, kind of us versus them. And so that's not helpful. But the flip side of that coin is if you're never, ever persecuted, you're probably a coward. You're having a hard time standing up and speaking the truth of what God says, because God does tell us that when we do, we will be persecuted. But we don't want to be the reason for the offense. The gospel itself will be the offense. The very heart of the gospel is that God has done for us what we cannot do for ourselves. And that's offensive to us as people in that what it says to you is you can't do it. God has to do it for you. It has to be by grace through faith. And that means that you need God's grace in your life. And that's offensive to us. The gospel is offensive. But let the gospel be the offense, not you be the offense. We want to be kind and gracious in the way that we speak to everyone that we come into contact with. And so one of the things that I regularly pray, I pray for you as our church. Pray, if you don't know that, I go through our, our directory and pray for you by name, each of you. And as I pray for you, I pray this for you. I pray this for me. I pray for this our church. I pray for my children that we would be bold and clear about the gospel, but that we would have great humility always. That there should be a boldness to holding fast to the things God says but there should be a great humility because we know the grace that we have received. So instead of throwing open the windows and I'm gonna stick it to them and tell them, no, 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 we would be people that go, I want them to know about Jesus because I know how desperately I need Jesus. And that humbles us greatly. And so we should always be people who are holding fast to God's word, but we should do it with great grace and humility. But then the last thing I would say of how we live in this and what we see from Daniel is that he's constantly praying. You see this all the way through the book. Everything that happens, he's on his face before the Lord in every way. And so he goes home and he's praying and he's praying all the time in all things. And I can't help but think that he's praying even about what might come by him continuing to hold fast to God or praying against those that are seeking to attack him. Jesus tells us that, to pray for those that persecute you. I don't know if you've ever thought about that, but in our world that is so crazy in so many ways and so many things that are directly opposed to what God's word says, do you take time to stop and pray for those that may persecute you? Pray for their best. Pray that their heart would be changed, that God would open their eyes, continuing to pray about all things. And so as we put those together and we think about how do we live in these times, one, we wanna be for the good of the place where we are, we want to continue to get out and to be uh, seeking the good of right where God has placed us. But we want to do so by being gracious and kind and holding fast to the things God tells us and con- continuing to pray in all things. And we see Daniel doing that all the way through. And what you see as you get to the end here of this story, and you go, how is this possible and how is this? And he's so calm and he's not freaked out. They're going to throw him in the lion's den, and it doesn't say anything about him going, no, 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 don't throw me in the lion's den. He just kind of like, okay. I think it's because he has seen God move so much, and he's trusting him, and so you get to the very end. They throw him in the lion's den, and then verse 19, we get to daybreak, and the king arose and went in haste to the den of the lions, verse 20. And he came near to the den where Daniel was and he cried out in a tone of anguish and the king declared to Daniel, oh, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to deliver you from the lion? And then Daniel said to the king, oh, king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth and they have not harmed me. And so he says, God's got me in this. Now, I, I wanna remind you of one part. God does take care of him and he walks him right through it. Remember what we talked about in chapter three? They said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, we're going to throw you in the fiery furnace. And they go, okay, we're not bowing down to your gods. God can deliver us. And then they say, but if not, you can throw us in anyway. And so there's that, that, uh, tension throughout scripture. Here God delivers Daniel from the lion's den. But the truth is sometimes you stand up for the things that God tells you to and you lose your job. Sometimes that happens. And you go, well, wait a second. I was being faithful. What happened there? But sometimes God walks you right through it. And sometimes you lose your job or it becomes more difficult. And so how do we deal with that in a world where there's persecution and anxiety and frustration and all those things? I think what's true for Daniel is true for us, even though God walks him right through this. Daniel had seen God's faithfulness in his life. But he also had seen how God is moving throughout time. And we'll look at those in the the coming weeks. He gives them these clear visions of nations rising and falling and how God is always in control of all of it. And Daniel knew this. And he knew if they threw him in the lion's den and they killed him in that moment that he would be with God forever, that he would immediately be in his presence. But he also knew that if God wanted to spare him, he could spare him because he knew the big picture of history and the way God is moving. But you can hear that and you go, well, that's great. Daniel saw lion's den. He saw Shadrach, Meshach. He saw all these things. And then he also had these visions that God gave him. Well, I haven't had any of those visions. Maybe you go, well, wait a second. That's great for him. And I would believe too, if I saw the things that Daniel believed. But for me, I don't know. But I would just remind you that all the things that Daniel has seen, we've actually seen more. Remember, Daniel lived 600 years before Jesus would come. We've seen the fullness of what God is doing and the way he's brought it all together in Jesus. That Jesus has defeated sin and death and he is ruling and reigning and the resurrection is proof of it. And there is not one square inch of this world that you will step on that God is not ruling and reigning that you can't trust him in. In everything, whatever may come, And just as Daniel had these visions of seeing the way God was working throughout history, we too have in God's word how God is working throughout history and we see the fulfillment of it in Jesus. And so we can trust him in all things and in all times and in all ways that he's got us in the midst of all of it. And if that means we stand fast and we hold fast for God's word and you lose your job or heaven forbid that it comes in our country that you end up in jail, God will see you through it and he will protect you in all of that. But there's also one last little part I want to end with. You go, okay, well, it's not easy, but we're going to trust God in those things. What about when our heart gets hardened to those people that are attacking? I would think that's going to be hard for Daniel. These guys that are trying to get him out of his position and coming after him and all the things that go with it. And I would just point you back to what I said just a second ago about the heart issue behind it you have been saved by grace and what Jesus has done for you. The only reason that we can stand before God is because of the grace of God in our life. And when we're reminded of that and we come up against people that have not yet seen that, I wanna remind you that those that might attack you or might come after you could very well be you on the other side of that equation if not for the grace of God in your life. And that should be radically humbling. Instead of us versus them, it's God, would you open their eyes to see the glory of who you are and what you've done for us in Jesus. And that's the the way in which we're to move in this world. We are people that stand by grace and people who stand by grace have to offer grace to those around us because we know that's all we have. And it keeps us from being hardened. It keeps us from going, we'll stick it to them. I don't care. No, I am the same and I need Jesus in the exact same way. And so let us be people of the cross in everything we do. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for the glorious good news of the gospel that you have done for us, what we could never, ever do for ourselves. And we thank you. We pray that we would see that afresh each and every day, that we would continue to seek you even in a world that is opposed to you in so many ways in your word. I pray when those oppositions come that we would be people that are full of grace and mercy that continue to hold fast, to see that you have all things in control in your hand, but also are people of humility because of the grace that we have received. We pray all these things in Jesus' precious name, amen.